welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, polar exploration and juices. Sometimes uh, the ice opens up and you see that dark water that uh, reminds you that you're actually skiing on top of an ocean. Uh, I've been in situations uh, in the start when I thought that, wow, this is never going to work. Then it gets completely black, uh, completely black. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So I want to get right to our first guest. He is the first person to complete a solo expedition across Antarctica, and he has also crossed the North Pole in the middle of Arctic night. This is polar explorer Berge Osland. What is it about polar exploration? What is it about it that called to you? It's extremely dynamic. It's extremely fascinating when you're out there and you have to walk across pressure ridges. Uh, sometimes uh, the ice opens up and you see that dark water that uh, reminds you that you're actually skiing on top of an ocean. You have uh, polar bears uh, lurking around and, uh, and uh, you're always drifting. You never wake up in the same place. So I think it's, it's the, you know, the dramatic landscape and, and the nature that appeals uh, to me in a way. You are totally dependent on yourself and what you have to bring with you. I get that this is hard. Like I understand that it's hard. But I don't really understand it. Is there something that is there a way you could like put it in perspective? Like, okay, how difficult is this to kind of really travel in these places? Yeah, like okay, for instance, the North Pole. It's from the coast to the North Pole, which is the treks that I have done mostly, um, and also I've done some crossing all over uh, Antarctica and the Arctic. Uh, so it's one thousand kilometers, and I'm bringing everything I need for the whole journey. So my sled. Close to 300 pounds, I guess, uh, to be self-supplied all, all along the way. And, uh, and there is huge pressure ridges because the ice is moving and it's um, crushing together uh, that you have to climb across. And, and I did mention also the open water that you sometimes have to paddle or swim across. So it is extremely, extremely difficult and hard. Um, on your body and maybe sometimes also your mind. I also have to add the extreme cold that you have, you know, down to minus 40. And to be able to master those kind of situation all alone by yourself for two months, self-supplied, is a great satis satisfaction simply. But that's one of the things that appeals to me. Is it more physically or mentally demanding? I think for solo tricks up there, it's, it's more mental. You are alone with all your decisions, uh, all your worries. You have to be the patient and doctor in the same person. You know, you have to uh, pull yourself up from the that hole that you sometimes fall into when you are by yourself and everything looks dark and you're afraid of uh, uh, being alone and, uh, and you're longing for home and you're not sure if you're going to make it or not. And then you have to try to motivate yourself, you know, to keep on going the next day and the next day and the next day. So I think it's mostly mental on, on solo tracks. But uh, when that is said, the mental uh, and the solo part is also the best part of the whole, uh, whole trip when, when, when you are 
uh, able to master it um, because you do get a totally different dialogue with yourself and the nature when there is no one else to lean on and to uh, rely on. So you, it's also a kind of meditation, I think, uh, on these uh, this trips that uh, enables you to get closer to yourself and also closer to, to nature and maybe the universe. Like I couldn't imagine being, you know, I know one of your trips where you were basically alone going across for what, roughly 60 days. Does that wear on you? Are you like, do you get sick of your, just being by yourself, essentially? No, not really. Uh, well, I, I, I think if you are able to make it the first couple of weeks uh, and you get into the flow, um, then you, it doesn't really matter if the trip takes one month or, or three months. I think you have been able to to uh, become friends with yourself and the nature. And then that, when you reach, reach that stage in yourself, then it doesn't matter how long the trip it takes. The first couple of weeks is critical in my experience. When you come from a warm bed, <clears throat> you have said goodbye to your friends and uh, and you just take the first steps out on that uh, ice with a super heavy sled and uh, maybe a thousand kilometers or 600 miles to go you know those first days that's uh, that's the hard part uh, and then that's when you really really need need to dig deep did you ever think about just turning right around right at the beginning like oh man <clears throat> yeah 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 of course <laughs> Uh, well, in one way, yes, and, and, and also no. Um, uh, I've been in situations uh, in the start when I thought that, well, this is never going to work, uh, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't want to give up because I told everyone that I was going to ski uh, alone to the North Pole so I couldn't just uh, throw in the towel. Uh, but I was not able to really find a good... Uh, way to continue uh, but what i did back then was to fool myself further i said to myself okay what what's the reality here it's it's, uh, it's not your leg that's broken it's not your ski that's broken it, it's you know it's this is all about feelings and feelings will change if you give it some time and and i said that okay you can give up but but not today tomorrow but not today uh, knowing that feelings will change over time. Uh, and uh, and when tomorrow came, I said the same thing. And uh, after a couple of weeks, I thought, okay, well, I've been here two weeks. Maybe I can continue all the way. And then I started to lift my head and think about the goal. Uh, so it's, it, I think it's possible to work on your feelings, uh, even if you are in a tight spot and think it's uh, hopeless and uh, you're not going to make it. It is possible to work on your feelings. What was that like when you saw another person after all that time? <laughs> Strange. <laughs> you become a stranger to, to other people, uh, in a way. Other people becomes, uh, you don't know how to behave. It takes a while, actually, to, to, to know how to relate with other people when you've been away for a long time. It is amazing our capacity to adjust. It is Like, incredible. we just get used to whatever situation that we're in. So, so that capacity is what makes us unique, I think. I don't know, obviously, very much about the North Pole or the South Pole, but when I imagine it, like I am just imagining a long, white, flat tundra. Well, the the South Pole is a little bit like that. Uh, the South Pole is just a, a huge, enormous uh, ice cap, basically, um, and um, 
and enormous distances. Uh, it's more or less the same every day. Uh, and that's why I also think that <clears throat> a big uh, trip in Antarctica is more a mental challenge because the landscape is so monotone. But on the North Pole, um, it's a lot more that happens uh, because of the pack ice. You know, you're, you're actually skiing. Maybe most people are not really aware that at the North Pole itself, it's four, more than 4,000 meters deep uh, ocean. It's just a thin layer of ice on the top there that you're skiing on top and just a thin frozen kind of pancake uh, uh, that is moving around and creating all these uh, fissures and cracks and, and, uh, and big uh, uh, towers of ice because of the nervous force up there. So North Pole is never, never boring or it's more like you have to watch yourself all the step along the way. Uh, but Antarctica can be a little bit more of a mental challenge just because of that enormous landscape. It's so big. But even in Antarctica, you know, I'm able to penetrate that lonely landscape. And, and I do find in the snow there is fissures and shapes in the snow. So it's still possible to penetrate that landscape and, and, and um, kind of become friends with Antarctica. But it takes a while. When you're in the North Pole, so like you, you'd essentially camp for the night and then end up in a different location because the ice is moving? You always drift somewhere at the North Pole. It's a very dynamic place. When you pitch your tent, you have drifted from just a few hundred meters maybe in a, on a quiet night and to up to several miles uh, if it's a stormy uh, night. And it's really the wind that is pushing on the ice. Uh, making it drift uh, up there, so the you know because all these uh, this jagged uh, ice, the pressure ridges as we call them, they stick up and they become like sails uh, pushed with the wind, and the ice starts to drift drift um, because of the wind. So then, how do you account for that, right? Because that seems like man, you got to have every variable figured out when you before you start. But then, who knows how far you're going to drift on any given day? Uh, you never know. So you just have to walk straight north because you don't know how far you're going to drift. Most in most cases, it evens out. Uh, in the end of the day, you know, sometimes you have to drift with you. Other times, you're actually drifting back. And I've been in situations when I woke up after a big storm and I drifted 20 kilometers backwards, so 15 miles backwards. So everything I skied the day before was just lost to drifting back. So it was, uh, I was a bit depressing. Was there a few cuss words? <laughs> I would imagine they're like... Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, you know, when, I, when the weather is bad, I'm drifting back and things like that, I actually get more motivated because... I can't, I can't uh, um, do anything about it. The only thing I can influence is my own performance. So actually, I get more kind of, well, this is a job and I have to just to stick it out and do my best. And, and that's also uh, the, the, uh, the kind of the mental capacity you need to bring in the front of your head uh, because if you're just sitting there feeling sorry sorry for yourself uh, you, you won't make it you know and, and you can't change it you can't do anything about the weather you only can influence uh, your own performance so how much preparation goes in 
to an expedition like the ones that you've been on? About a year, uh, at least. At least uh, the 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 long first ever expedition takes a long time to prepare because we I have to try to find the answer to to how to do it basically. And uh, the last big trip I did was crossing the Arctic Ocean in the dark with my good friend Mike Horn uh, from South Africa, and and then you know. Nobody had done it like that. We had to find the right time of year to do it. Um, we need to to uh, figure out how much food we were going to bring uh, and what you know how many batteries. It was we knew it most of the trip was going to be in the dark, so we needed batteries for our headlamps for two three months and and uh, yeah, lots of lots of interesting uh, problems that we had to dive into and find solutions uh, to. So it took, took it took about a year to prepare. Why, now, why do it in the dark? <laughs> yeah, why do it in the dark? <laughs> well, the reason is that uh, yeah, to start out with, we wanted really to do a classical North Pole expedition, just like the old explorers did back in the days, you know, from the golden age and the late 1800s and early 1900s. And and to go all the way from Alaska uh, to Norway via the North Pole, and to do that, the only time of year you can penetrate far enough into the polar ocean by boat is in the end of the summer, really, kind of yeah September, uh, uh, because that's when the ice has melted enough that we're able to sail into the Arctic Ocean with a sailing ship and get onto the ice but that also means that winter is coming you know winter is coming in september as well so that little tiny window between win winter and summer that's what we, we had to to find but that also meant that most of this trip was going to be in the dark because the sun goes down at the north pole 23rd of september and then it doesn't rise again for another six months <clears throat> so there were a few challenges that we had to overcome on that trip but we managed to do it. In, uh, it took us eighty-seven days to cross the Arctic Ocean on skis in the in the winter. Is it? I've you know I've only seen videos. Is it dark, dark? Like okay, it's dark, or is it kind of? In the beginning, uh, when the sun goes down, it's kind of twilight for a couple of weeks because uh, the sun doesn't go down like in the equator. It doesn't go down in a sack. It goes very yeah. slowly yeah. along the horizon. But when it's far enough uh, down there, it's then it gets completely black, uh, completely black. You know, uh, when it's overcast uh, and you turn off your headlamp, you don't see your friends sitting next to you. That's how dark it gets. Uh, uh, but uh, you also get uh, clear nights when you have full moon, and then you can actually see a little bit what's around you, but you'd still need the headlamp to see the fissures in the snow and all the dangers that uh, lurks around. So, uh, so you need headlamps. So we were on headlamps for two months on that trip, actually. And then you need a good battery system because without headlamps you will not survive. Yeah, how did you bring enough batteries for that? Yeah, it's just uh, we brought ten kilos of batteries. I don't know if I can quantify this right, but like when you go on one of those expeditions, like how much leeway are you generally giving yourself in the sense of like, okay, I've got food for eighty-five days, but if this lasts eighty-nine, I'm done. Ten days margin, and I honestly thought that the trip would take seventy-five days. That's why we took eighty-five. But uh, we uh, we had a little bit of a challenge with the weather, and we were drifting back um, more than expected. So 
So that's why the trip actually took 87 days instead of 75. Uh, and my sled broke, you know, lots of things happened. And my friend Mike, he went through the ice and into the ice cold water. So that took another day. So we kind of lost days on, on, on in a lot of different situations and ended up with the really pushing the envelope towards the end there. So that's and barely made it. Man. It was a close call towards the end there. I had half a liter of fuel left when we got to the boat. What is that like when you end the expedition and see like, there's the finish line? You know, we had the ship uh, that we were skiing towards that had sailed up from Norway and into the ocean on the other side, um, as far into the ice that uh, the, um, you know, the open water would take her. So the ship couldn't get any further north. So we had to reach a ship that was our way out of the polar ocean. Uh, and when you get closer to that goal, and it's just like, you know, everything you dreamt of is inside that ship. Uh, and, and suddenly when you reach it, there is nothing more to, to long for. So it's, it's a big, big paradox, I feel, to reach a goal like that, that everything is within reach. You can you can eat as much as you want. You can take that shower you've been longing for, and there is a bed, and it's a huge paradox. It's very very strange to reach that goals that goal on a big trip like that. Does it make regular life boring though in any way? Right, like on Tuesday I was up here at the North Pole trekking across, moving ice, and now it's Thursday and I got to do taxes. No, I don't think so. Uh, but some I heard some other. Kind of colleagues of mine uh, thinking those lines uh, or ways, uh, but I don't do that. I think it's also because uh, I'm I feel privileged. I feel so privileged that I have my family, my friends, and everything around me. No one, no one can kind of be in the moment all the time, uh, and you can't ex expect that. So, so that is why it's so important break off sometimes and just go out into the nature. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Sure. North Pole or South Pole? Which one's your favorite? I would say the North Pole, um, simply because it's so dynamic. Um, uh, yeah. And also that's where I've done, my, I think, my, my biggest expeditions. So definitely the North Pole. Yeah. It's more things happening at the North Pole. What food did you crave the most while traveling? I oh yeah it's you are you get so <clears throat> hungry on those big uh, trips out there and um, you crave for anything with fat inside so um, big american pancakes with uh, blueberry jam and uh, maple syrup and uh, sour cream <laughs> bacon yeah on the side that goes down and, and that's something you dream about after going on an expedition for almost 90 days with somebody, do you feel like you've heard everything that person has to say? Yeah, in a way. <laughs> what would you? What was your scariest experience out there? Uh, that's connected with the water, um, uh, going through the water, uh, or, or through thin ice and into the water uh, on the North Pole. That's happened... Uh, one time all the way and several times on their misses. And uh, if it's minus 40, you don't have much time uh, before you get too weak to, to get up again. And almost all the big accidents at the North Pole has 
you know, fatal accidents where people die has been in connection with, uh, with uh, tin ice and water. When, when those kind of incidents have happened, and it, right, like, is it usually somebody wasn't prepared or because they, like, they just got unlucky? <clears throat> no, uh, well, speaking for myself, you know, you get tired uh, and there can be snow covering some of these uh, traps uh, that, so you don't see them. Uh, and, uh, and, um, and, you know, accidents just, just happens. Uh, but also maybe it can also happen because you take too big risks which is always a balance. You can't reach the North Pole without taking some risk and you have to find that fine balance between what risk is acceptable and what is too much. And when you're solo, you don't have anyone else, you know, to guide you to say, okay, hey, stop, this is too dangerous. So, so, so you really have to, uh, so that's, that's also why it's so dangerous to be alone because you get a little bit sloppy and you, it's into the routine. And then one day you take that risk that is too big and then maybe that's it. So that's always a, 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 a kind of a battle in your head. Um, but I, I, you probably don't know that, but uh, my profession back in the days, I was a deep sea diver in the oil industry. And what I learned, I, I did that for 10 years and, um, you know, with saturation diving, as it's called, um, diving down to 1000 feet and super deep and in the dark and lots of accidents. But what we knew who worked down there um, in the dark uh, at, uh, uh, in the, these oil fields was that the only one you really can trust is yourself. So I always looked upon safety as a personal responsibility. And that I took that, you know, attitude with me into the expeditions, and and I think the secret is to be that little step ahead your ahead of yourself all the time. Try to understand what is happening before it happens, uh, and and if something goes wrong, you have trained for it. Uh, I I, tr I train. I'm going. I'm going out on thin ice and I'm going through ice, thin ice deliberately uh, back home here in Norway just to find out the right techniques to get up again. So you have to be able to go into a dangerous situation and do it in a safe way by training. That's my philosophy. Is there any kind of forgiveness, I guess, in those kind of places? Is there any kind of like, okay, you can make a little mistake and you can get away with it or like you can't mess up at all here? No. Especially not on solo expeditions. With when you're with other people, you 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 know you you normally have an extra helping hand uh, to pull you up, but not on solo expedition. Then you have one chance to get up before your hands and and um, legs are losing power, and then you can just lie there and hope you had a good life and think back. But that's it that's that's the height of pressure right like i've got one chance to get out of this and if i don't i'm done that's it do you think that the poles could become like everest in the sense that there could be kind of an over commercialization of them at all yeah it's actually turning like that turning into that uh, and especially in antarctica there is uh, quite a lot of skiers and and uh, and people flying into the South Pole just, just to be there. So that has really, really changed uh, compared to when I did uh, my first expedition up there in 1990. Um, 
and then North Pole was just mentally just super super far away nobody went there uh, but now it's actually possible to go to both poles and drink a glass of champagne and go back home so yeah the same thing is happening do you when like the times that you've been back since those first expeditions like can you see changes yeah definitely it's a huge it's a huge chain uh, uh, change uh, compared to you know when i did the first expeditions in the early 90s the ice was three to four meter thick uh, now it's one to two meter and the, also the coverage is about 30% less. So actually at the, on the North Pole, that is where you are physically seeing uh, uh, the result of uh, climate change. Uh, so it's a really just a totally different landscape uh, compared to 30, 40 years ago. Any other big expeditions? you think you got any really big ones left? Well, for me, I'm doing a, a project called Ice Legacy. Uh, I'm doing it together with um, um, uh, a friend of mine called Vincent Colliard, and uh, where we're crossing the biggest ice caps in the world to sort of um, try to uh, to to tell what is happening uh, with uh, this huge uh, pieces of ice. Um, so, so that's what we're doing, trying to cross the twenty biggest ice caps. So the next goal will most likely be Juno Icefield in Alaska. Not too far from you guys. Is there kind of a holy grail of polar exploration left? Is there something that like, this is, if somebody does this, this is going to be big. Yeah, yeah, there is, there is not many left since I've been fortunate enough to kind of pull off most of them. <laughs> But uh, or a few of them, uh, but there is one left, and that is to ski to the South Pole during winter time. That has been tried, but uh, no one has uh, succeeded. So, so that's uh, that's up for grabs if anyone wants to have a go. Is that is that something though that like, okay, that's doable, or like you could do this, but I don't think you're coming back. Uh, it, I think it's doable, but it's extremely difficult. But as the knowledge uh, kind of increases and, um, and the equipment gets better, um, but you can imagine that in the winter on the South Pole Plateau, it's down to minus 60 degrees Celsius. Uh, and you have strong wind in addition. I think you would have to ski more or less inside the box to be able to survive up there. But I, I think it's possible. But I'm not going to try it. I'll leave that to someone coming behind me. That's pretty much all the questions that we have. Is there anything that you think that we missed? Or what's kind of coming up next for you? How can people learn more? Uh, yeah, no, I think you, we covered quite a lot uh, this nice talk that we have. Thank you very, very much. Um, uh, well, I, the, the place, if people want to, to see more of what we're doing, uh, I have a website called ausland.com. O-U-S-L-A-N-D.com. So that's that's one place that uh, people can um, have a look and or my, my Instagram and Facebook uh, profiles. I want to thank Berge so much for joining us and apologize for probably mispronouncing his name. I did the best that I could. But if you want to connect with him and learn more about his expeditions, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're Profoundly Pointless on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, and we've also included his information in the episode description. If you want to see more of his expeditions, the YouTube version of this interview will be live on February 1st, 
at 12.30 p.m. Pacific. So real quick, I want to take a moment and thank one of the sponsors of our show, Factor. Factor has ready-to-eat meal delivery service that takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. I just got a delivery at my house, and it is awesome. It looks good. It tastes good. It's healthy. It's a great way to start the new year, and it's cheaper than getting takeout. It's much healthier, and it's way, way easier because you don't have to cook it at all. All you've got to do is just pop it in the oven in the microwave, and then in two minutes, it is ready to go. Like I mentioned, they are delicious, and there's so many different options. Keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie, all kinds of different options. And right now, they are offering a special discount. You can get 50% off. All you've got to do is head to factormeals.com slash pointless50 and enter the code pointless50 to get 50% off. That's code Pointless50 at factormeals.com slash pointless50. I know that's a lot to remember, so there's a link in the description that includes those codes. They're great. It's really good. It's really good. Okay, now let's bring in John Schull and get to the pointless part of the show. What is the most amount of time that you have ever spent alone? Completely alone. Not talking to anybody, not texting Without, like, communicating at all? That's including texts, everything? Not talking to another person in any way. You know, I don't know. Maybe an hour or two? Maybe? Oh, that's it? Even when I was alone in Orlando, like, when I lived alone, I wasn't dating somebody. I was still texting people, usually. I mean, in reason, at first glance, I'm like, wait a minute. No, you. That's 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 a hard not very much time. But then, uh, now that I think about it, it's not more than a couple of hours. Maybe. It's, yeah, it's not more than a couple of hours for me. It's it's kind of wild when you really think about how unalone and now connected we are. Even if you say you're not connected, I still feel like you're connected. Even when I would say like the loneliest part of my life, which is my first real job when I moved to a different city after graduating college and didn't really have any friends. I don't even then probably not more than maybe like 8 hours. <laughs> Cuz I would go to the gym, come home to my apartment and basically just be there until the next day when I went like grocery shopping or back to the gym. Yeah, but were you really alone? Were you not messaging anybody, your family, a a, a friend, a, a, an acquaintance we'll call them? Um Maybe. How do you handle being alone? Do you feel like you handle being alone well, or do you kind of go crazy? It's funny that you say that. Uh, back in the day, I loved it. I loved being alone. I loved the alone time. I loved doing what I wanted. Now, and you get this, and maybe others out there that are listening to this as well, having children has completely changed the game for me. If I have, you know, if the wife says, hey, I'm going out, you know, I put the kids down, I have maybe four or five hours to myself, I sit around wondering what I can do, and then by the time I finally get around to doing something, whether it's for myself or whatever, she's back home. Like So I just waste the time thinking about what to do. Mm, there is something that changes, I feel like, once you have killed kids. 
that you just are always busy. You always have to feel like you're doing something. And for people who are, are like looking at their parents and like, why are they always doing something? <laughs> like it just gets in you and you can't ever just sit. Yeah, it's, I mean, even right now recording this, I want to get up and just start cleaning something. Well, I mean, it needs to by the look of your house behind you. Uh, I actually polled the audience. Uh, same question. What is the longest you have ever been totally alone? 18% say a few hours. 25% say one day. 42% say a week or less. But I don't, I feel like that's pretty high. I wonder if they're really thinking about it in terms of like, no, no, not talking to anybody. And then 13% say more than a week. And usually they specified it in comments saying stuff like, I got injured and I couldn't leave my house. Or there's some extenuating circumstances. But did you put in the question being on your phone means you're not alone? I did put no contact in person or electronically with another person. But I don't know how much people really thought that through. And some people, the majority of, of the voters say a week or less. I call shenanigans on that. Yeah, well, I mean, that could be two days. I could see a weekend. I could see people going a weekend without dealing with anybody. Maybe you went camping by yourself or something like that. But even then you walk past somebody. Yeah, I would say most people it's only a few hours if you really thought about it. I'm not even sure if I was to like barricade myself in my house without my family if I'd be able to go a couple hours without communicating with anybody. Oh, yeah, it would be tough. People need people, man. Some people don't, but I think people need people. Uh, the other question that I had for you, so obviously the Super Bowl is coming up. <laughs> we have the Chiefs against uh, the San Francisco 49ers. So... How long into the broadcast, once the game starts, how quickly after the game starts do we hear Taylor Swift's name mentioned or shown? I really don't want to answer this because I don't, I don't give a fuck about the Super Bowl. I'm a Lions fan, and anyone that follows American football will understand why I don't care at all now. But uh, to answer your question and be a team player, uh, I think she will be mentioned at least 10 minutes before kickoff. And I think the first time Travis Kelsey is involved at all, even if he has a block, even if he, you know, they'll say Travis Kelsey and, oh, here's Taylor Swift. So if Kansas City goes on offense first, it'll be within five minutes. Oh, I think it's within the first minute. I think it's within the first minute of kickoff, probably being shown in the national anthem. Anthem, but anthem, but I don't think that counts. My guess, put a number on it. Put a time on it. I'm going to say within the first minute. I'll say within the first four minutes. Okay. Okay. I also think that if she goes, this is the, this is the end of both her, Travis Kelsey, and the Chiefs in America's mind. We're going to be completely sick of it. It's going to be so oversaturated that we'll be completely sick of it if she's at the Super Bowl. Well, we just better hope that they never break up because... Imagine the oh. coverage of that. Oh, my God. This is why people dislike the media. Like, we don't want to hear these things, but they force it down their throat. Okay, anyway, there's my rant about the Super Bowl. Well, it, it's forced down your throat because people tune in. I don't, I, okay, you and I, you still work in the media. I used to work in the media, so I feel like I can speak more freely about this. I don't think that people really care that much. 
I think the media covers something over and over and over and over and over and over again until eventually you finally start wondering about it. Like, you don't really care. They make you care. I mean, I think that's documented in some cases. I mean, the NFL cares, really. So they're going to make all of their broadcasts with her. That If she's there, they're going to make it a point because that's how they retain some of a demographic that they have never hit before. I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's a, at the end, it all comes down to advertising dollars, right? It's all money. I did it's see all s- money. I did see something that she's like playing the night before in Japan, and then has to catch a flight to to Vegas, and she'll get there maybe with like six hours to spare if she leaves literally right after a concert or something. This is why I think that if her PR people are really like in tune, they will not go to the Super Bowl because I think it will be just complete oversaturation and we'll be sick of her we'll be sick of the kelseys we'll be sick of the chiefs we'll be sick of all of that stuff I, we're already over it i mean once again we are but the young girls that now watch football or watch the chiefs games because of her aren't the moms with those girls aren't even adult women aren't maybe some men aren't i have no idea anyway okay all right let's get to some people that actually matter here let's give some shout outs uh, let's see, we'll start with uh, Cole Rafferty. I like that first name of Cole. Uh, yeah, it's one of those limited names. Yeah, if, just, if there's not a lot of them, it's okay. Just sounds badass. Like, here's Cole. Cole's going to yeah. come whip your ass. Um, anyways, Kevin Parra, Jeff Harris, Ryan Nguyen, Parker Woolenweber. I'm sure I <laughs> That's a good one. butchered that last name, but it sounds, <laughs> yeah. sounds right. Yeah, it's a pretty good chance. <laughs> Dawson Oliver. Davis Fryhoff, Austin Wiki, Bone Lapold, Keegan Grant, and we're going to end with a, a little bit of alliteration here. Mark Mayhew. Is Mark Mayhew a famous person? That seems that sounds like a famous person's name. Uh, maybe I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. All right. Good talk. Are we doing? Uh, yeah, See, you, that's three weeks in a row. You were a little okay. All right. I, oh no, I, I was, enjoy it. Well, I was talking. Are, are we doing that first or COTM first? It's not candle of the month. This episode goes out on a Wednesday, which is January thirty first. So oh, it is not a new month. God damn it! I thought. Oh man. Uh, okay, that's fine. We'll just push to next week. You gotta wait. Sorry, I, I've I've done this. I get so excited that I forget that there's thirty one days and and months sometimes. All right, fine. Do the knuckle trick. Don't you know the knuckle trick? No, I don't know the knuckle trick. The knuckle trick. If it's on a knuckle, it's got 31 days. So you start on January on the knuckle. Then you go in between, and it's February. Then March is the knuckle. That's 31. April, May, June, July. So if it's a knuckle, it's got 31 days. When you think that someone discovered that or came up with that, do you think they were like, wow, I'm the smartest person alive? I mean, I don't know if they thought that they were the smartest person alive, but I think that that was a pretty good way to teach it. My wife is a teacher, and we had this conversation while high the other day, and that I don't think that we give teachers enough credit because of how hard it is to teach someone how to do something. As a parent, you know that like teaching someone, like, how do you do this? And I think that people who aren't educators think that, like, oh, you just tell them that. But, like, no, it's really complicated. Like, how do you do this? Well, go left. Well, I don't know how to, like, well, how do you... Shift your body weight. Like, explain that to a five-year-old. Teachers need more credit is my bottom line. It's hard to teach people things. I'm paying more money. Pay them. I'm, I'm all about it. Someday when you and I run for presidency, 
You can be my vice president. Uh, we'll make sure that happens. I'd be your vice president. If you were the vice president, uh, any vice president, would you secretly be wishing for something to happen to the president even briefly so that you could say that you're president at that moment? If I, somebody ever asked me to be vice president, I'd be like, I'll do it, but only if you promise that you're going to go under anesthesia at some point so I can be president for like 20 minutes. <laughs> like it's written that into would be your my contract rule. or whatever? Yeah, I would feel like that would have to be some kind of agreement. I'm not going to lie to you. Just the thought of having to campaign as a vice president sounds terrible because you get no recognition. No one really cares about you, but yet you're expected to perform all the duties. Yeah, you got to be ready, but you don't have any of that big pressure. It's not, but it's like, where's the, where's the vice president? Like, don't worry about it. Like, we really don't worry that much about the vice president, which is kind of crazy. We don't. Like, yeah. No idea where they are right now. No clue. Anyways, all right, let's uh, – it's funny uh, that we'll, we'll do the uh, – if you haven't listened to the last couple episodes, I came up with this brilliant idea, basically to have 10 topics, and Nick just reacts, whether it's hopefully just a word, but sometimes it's more than that. So anyways, uh, randomly enough, the first one that I wrote down is kind of along the Super Bowl lines, and uh, what do you think the average ticket price as of this recording is for the Super Bowl? It's in Vegas, right? Yes. $2,000. Times that by five. $10,000 to go to the Super Bowl. For an average ticket, according to TickPick. Like, that's not even... I'm assuming that's not a, a great seat. That's not a premium seat. That's just an okay seat. I don't... Okay. I've worked in a television market as a news reporter where they had the Super Bowl. It's pretty overrated. It's one of those things that I think it would be fun if you had a lot of money where you can just go and do whatever you want. Otherwise, it looks like it'd be a massive pain in the ass. Probably I, not that fun. I wouldn't put $10,000 for that. No way. I mean, from a media point of view, because I was planning on sending a crew to the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, you know, they. I think what a lot of people think is because you're in the media, you get all these privileges at these things. We had one. We would have had one on-field pass for one person at a time. Everyone else had to go into a watch room in the basement. Like you don't even get to enjoy the game. No, that's one of the things that I would say as a former reporter is like you get to do all these things, but it's like you're not really there. Yeah, like it's not like you're enjoying it. You're there to work. It's like, uh, it's not that great. Ten thousand bucks. That's crazy. Is that yeah. a record? I think I mean I didn't say it, but I'm sure I'm sure it would for an average ticket, which is surprising to me because both these teams are known and they're established franchises. But I mean the matchup isn't. I mean Patrick Mahomes versus Brock Purdy. I mean, yeah. Oh, I don't really. I'm not really interested in it. I would have been interested in anything else. Okay. All right. Uh, Donald Duck. I don't care about Donald Duck. Kind of like He's the vice president. annoyed me. He's always annoyed me. All right. I've been annoyed by Donald Duck. All right. Uh, checkbooks. I don't even... Do you remember learning how to balance your checkbook? That was a thing that I learned in high school is how to balance a checkbook. And now I don't even remember how to write a check. <laughs> I mean, I wrote a check the other day. Yeah, but I've probably written maybe two or three a year. 
maybe two or three checks are written right a year. Only if they're like, it's 3% to pay on cash or pay with a credit card. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm going to write you a fucking check and you got to figure out what to do with it. All right. Uh, armadillo. <laughs> what the fuck? Armadillos. No, that's a sweet animal. That's an animal that you like to think about but never actually want to see. I've seen an armadillo because I used to live in Kansas, and sometimes you'll see them on the side of the road. They're like they're kind of like a gross, nasty-looking animal, but in cartoons and stuff like that, it seems pretty cool. Like, I can just ball up and roll away. Better imagined than seen. <laughs> uh, doping bans, doping bans in the Olympic Games. Oh, just a waste of time for everybody. Right. I don't put I don't put any hate on any of the people who are in the Olympics, but every single one of them is probably taking something, and I don't believe believe that any of them are not. And I would absolutely do the same thing. It seems like a total waste of time. And it always seems like it's it's the you know uh, gymnasts or the ice skaters. Like it's never like the the power lifters or the you know the people that are steering the luge or anything. It's always like these sports that are like finesse sports. I think it, they really have to be egregious to get caught at this point. Like, you've got to really be egregious to get caught. <laughs> but I think every single one of them is doing it, and I don't blame them whatsoever. All right. Uh, record players. I don't know if I've ever even seen one. Besides the snobby one that you have in your house, which you bought to make look like wood because you're a snob. Oh, good memory. Um, that's not the truth but whatever uh what what's your first kind of player that you remember having like a cassette player a walkman cassette player i remember having a cassette player that was in the basement and like it was one of those that was front facing so you popped it out and you put it in and you would play it like that i don't think we ever had a record player in our house sure you did i'm just sure your mom and dad kept it from you because you probably would have destroyed it i probably would have wrecked it a little bit maybe it was like in the basement never used we weren't a musical family i mean Anyways, uh, spoons. I don't really know how much, you know what, I think this is my thought on spoons. I think that we can really get rid of one of the utensils that we have. If we want to really reduce waste, we can get rid of one of the three utensils. We don't need a fork, a knife, and a spoon. We can either combine something or make do without one of them. But we don't need three utensils anymore. We don't need it. Combine it or get rid of one. I mean, really, whoever created this fork is legendary revolutionary even one of the best inventions of all time if you think about it the sport uh, all right um <laughs> sidewalk chalk oh just a great time just a great time right endlessly entertaining for little children nice for people to walk by and see it's impressive i like sidewalk chalk i have no problems with it christina rishi who is she Oh God! Um, I mean, she was uh, Casper. That the movie Casper. She was the main love interest of the Casper the Ghost. I think she was also uh, Wednesday Adams in the Adams Family. Okay, I get her confused with Anna Paquin, Cara Delvini. Something. There's a new one like Jenny Ortega that all kind of have that similar kind of like dark brooding kind of look to them i don't know that's not a great description but i think you know what i'm talking about sure they all have that kind of like wednesday adams appeal to them okay but i don't know i don't know which one she is well that 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 was a terrible i mean christina ricci she's i i would go on a limb and say of our childhood so kids that were born 
you know, mid 80s to the early 2000s. I mean, I feel like she's one of the actresses that you have to know of. Uh, but which one? What did she? What was she in? I can't think of any movies. I just gave you two examples: Casper and the Adams Family. Yeah, but I feel like when you're in the Adams Family, you're just Wednesday Adams. Like they just make you look like that. You don't really look like that, so they all run together in my mind. Okay. All right. Well, this isn't gonna go anywhere. I'm, um, so, I'm sorry. I don't know who she is. It's fine. I don't have her detailed Wikipedia bio, right? Like, I don't have her baseball trading card. <laughs> Do you think she has a baseball trading card? Let's Do see. Do they her. have actors trading cards? Do they have trading cards for actors? They do. Here, they let's do. see. <laughs> Man, you knew that, too. You've looked at them. Do you have some? Uh, yeah. I mean, not anything crazy, but uh, anyways, what? here she is. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, that's her? See, that to me looks exactly like the other people that did it. Like, so yeah. I get them confused. You ha- How many actors' trading cards do you have? Um, I don't know. Probably less than 50. It's, it's a personal collection, so it's not like I have a lot, but I have bought some of them. Okay, well, who do you got? Who's your best card? I have a Nicolas Cage autograph. <laughs> wait, wait. Did he autograph the card? Or did you buy it and it came autographed? No, I mean, I, I went on eBay and I bought an autographed Nicolas Cage card. How much did you pay for it? Uh, less than 50, I think. F- between 50 and 100 by the time it was said and done. I don't remember. Oh, see, see, this is, what, this is what happens. You're trying to kind of divert. You don't really want to say the truth. Like, oh, well, less than 50. Actually, it was 50 to 100, so it was $99. Why don't we just skip all this? And get to the truth. How many <laughs> actor movie trading cards do you have? I mean, less than 50. It's probably less than 40, to be honest. I only got okay. into it because a buddy of mine collects certain cards uh, by, by tops, a certain series, that there's a lot of um, autographed cards from, like, uh, pop stars and, and old, you know, just different eras of celebrity. And I was like, that's okay. pretty cool. Like, I'd like to have a Gordon Ramsay autograph card. Like, that's kind of dope. That's something that, like, if somebody, at, if somebody was giving that away for free, I would be like, no. <laughs> I don't, I'm just going to throw this in the trash two steps after I walk past you. I mean. Like, I would never even think of, like, collecting. Okay, who else do you have? You got Nicolas Cage? Give me your top three. Just give me your top three. Oh man. Uh well, so the the other thing is a lot of mine are are duels. So like I have um like a John Cena card. Like a like, oh, an, okay. auto, like an autograph. Um where he's just in regular street clothes. So it's not a wrestling card, but it's not like an actor's mm. card. So it's kind of in the middle. Um Yeah. They can make multiple he can be on multiple fronts. Okay. All right. Yeah, um, I will say my uh, uh, probably my my favorite card. I, I I wish I had it. It's not an autograph, but it's a Bernie Sanders card. It's probably one of my yeah. favorite celebrity cards. If you remember Bernie, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. He's it's still just... alive. You mean Bernie Sanders, the yeah. senator, right? Yeah. Well, okay. I mean he he's like you know he's like the vice president. He was here. Now where is he? Where is Bernie? No one, no idea. Right? Like you so. think that you should. How interesting that you have actor. Do you have any other kind of collectibles? You don't really care. You're setting me up to make fun of me. I'm not. I'm fascinated by this. This is one of the like. I've every once in a while I learn something new. 
My yeah, I mean, I, I collect I, trading cards. I, I collect, uh, yeah, I collect wrestling figures. I collect trading cards. I collect figurines. I also keep a journal, too, if you really want to know. I keep a journal. I write in it almost every day or try to. I keep a little journal. I jot down something about that day. And I think that now is also the point of the show where I would like to remind viewers that John has two children. He has, in fact, had sex with a woman at least twice. Good job, buddy. <laughs> okay. I mean, you like anime, right? You collect comic books. No, I don't. If, if, you, if you out there could only see the look I'm giving Nick. I don't. I don't, I don't collect them. I don't. Okay. I watch it when it's on there. I watch some, but I don't collect something of it. I don't collect anything. By the way, I'm not. I'm, I'm Besides not pi- checks. Oh, boy. I'm not picking on anime, folks, by the way. That wasn't a criticism. Um, there's different levels of anime. There's like anime like One Piece, Dragon Ball, and then there's like anime like, man, you're getting into some anime. There's different levels of it. Still like don't know what you're else. referring to. I'm just I don't collect anything. Well, maybe you should. I never have. Maybe you should. You never did pogs? You never did cards when you were a kid? Nothing. I've never collected anything. That's it. Let's move. I don't have it. Oh, <laughs> okay. I thought you were done. We, we okay, done. so our we're top. Done. Yeah. All right. So our top five is top five juices. What's your number five? So, uh, uh, <clears throat> so there's four that are pretty standard, right? You, I feel like you have the four that have to be on the list. Five is the wild card. Mm, I'm not entirely. I don't know if I agree with you. I actually only think that two are the dominant juices. Okay. That you kind of have to put on there. Otherwise, it's kind of all over the place. All right. So well. I would say only two. Let's uh, dive in here. My number five is grape juice. Okay. I have grape juice a little bit higher. A little bit higher. But it's also a specific kind of grape juice. I would say that personally, I don't enjoy plain grape juice. I would never, like, Ew, I don't want that. I don't know if I've ever actually had real grape juice. I've had Welch's grape juice. Yeah, that's the thing. I like grape flavor. I don't really particularly enjoy grape juice. I don't really like any juice, to be honest with you. I think all juice is a waste of time. Why are we doing this top five, then? I don't know. It seemed like an interesting one. Like, I've had juices before. I like to talk about juice. I love talking about things like this. I just don't think that juice is good at all. To me, all juice is a waste of time. Just get down to it. Don't give you the juice. Right. Give me, why wouldn't I just eat the food? I'd rather have that. Uh, so my number five is watermelon. I've only had watermelon juice one time, but it changed my life. It was amazing. I just thought watermelon juice was just water. Yeah, it is. It's basically like slightly flavored water that's incredibly, it's incredibly refreshing. It was amazing. Sounds but it's, it's hard to get. It's hard to get. My number four is tomato juice. I can see it being a top juice, but I find it to be disgusting. Tomato is one of those juices to me that you kind of have to mix it with a really strong something else for it to taste good. But in saying that, there have been times where I have just chugged V8 by itself. Oh, I could never do that. I actually hate tomato by itself. I like tomato products like ketchup and things like that. But tomato itself to me is disgusting. Like I would never just, you want to eat this tomato? Like, no. 
Yeah, cherry tomatoes I can eat like that, but you know the big, the bigger kind of tomatoes, like a steak tomato. Yeah, not happening. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Also, I was at a restaurant today. I was at a restaurant this weekend, and I bought a burger. It was twenty dollars. It was worth it. My wife wanted to go. It was for her birthday. We went to a nicer place. It was a twenty dollar burger. I dropped the tomato on the floor, picked it up, put it back on the burger, and ate it. Okay, I I need you to set the scene here. Are we at like a, a a fancy restaurant, like where every people saw you drop the tomato? Nobody would have seen me, but I think that was more based upon the location. It was, I would say, on a scale of like one to five, with five being really nice and one being like below fast food. Like, oh, I don't know about that place. They brought out when you order water and you get water. They bring out a plate that had various different fruits that you could put into the water. I had never seen that before. Wow. But it was a $20 burger in Seattle. So that's probably like maybe $15, $17 anywhere else. Okay. All right. What, what, what kind of, uh, what's the flavor? What's the temperature you like for your burger? Medium rare. But I order medium rare to try to get it rare. Okay, that's... That's a different take, I guess. That's the one thing that I remember learning from my grandpa. The first thing is like, whatever you want, order something slightly below or slightly above <laughs> to get it where you actually want it. But it was cooked properly. It was well cooked. I even complimented the chef. Not the chef, but the waiter. It's like, that's well cooked. Did you, did you have a dessert? Yeah. What was for dessert? No, I didn't. Oh. I didn't. I thought about it, though. All right. Uh, it was too full. Okay. Are we on my? Is it you or me? Motion number four, tomato. Yeah. Anyway, would you have eaten the food off the floor? Would you have eaten it off the yeah. floor? My wife was horrified, but I was like, "It's fine," and there's yeah. sauce on it that looks good, so I'm, I want that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll eat shit off the floor, of course. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know if that's genuine or disingenuous, but anyway, uh, my number four is apple. It's not good. It's not really that wow. great. Everybody makes a big deal about apple, like it's great, but it's not. It's okay. Okay. It's what that's... you have when you're a kid because everything else is it's cheap. Otherwise, it's not that great. I think that's too uh, low on the, in the top five list for apple juice, but... It's overrated. I know it's ubiquitous and a very prominent, but it's not that great. It's, I mean, but it's a staple of the juice family. It deserves, I mean, anyways, we'll get, we'll get to my thoughts. It doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's good. Okay. My number three is cranberry juice. I feel the same way about cranberry juice as I do about apple juice. It's like, would you really like cranberry juice? Like, oh, that was refreshing. That yeah. was so good. I needed that. <laughs> I mean, I, I think so. I, I like it. And it it's one of the better juices for your body in terms of what it, what it can do for your gastrointestinal tract. Also a great line from Departed. That's what I essentially remember about cranberry juice is the movie Departed. Look it up if you want to. Uh, my number three is a specific kind of juice. It's white grape. Uh, I don't like grape juice, but white grape juice was like, whoa, this is good. Okay. Okay. It doesn't have as much punch to it. It's more, it's a smoother. It's like if you mixed kind of apple and grape juice. You're like, oh, that's not okay. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. What's your number, uh, what's your number two? Orange juice. Your number two is orange juice. 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. I, my one and two are pretty. They can be interchangeable, but yeah. Um, orange juice is fine, but like I can only drink orange juice, you know, during the morning. I never drink it in the afternoon. I never drink it at night. It's just, it's definitely. I mean, it's a morning juice, right? But it's. I think that's what keeps it at number two for me. Is it's not as versatile as my number one. That actually makes a lot of sense. I would completely disagree. I was completely disagreeing with you going into that, but now that you mentioned it, I was like, oh, okay. I can understand that. My number two is the only juice that I actually think is good, besides watermelon juice, is pineapple juice. That's that's great. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's good. I just, you don't have it enough, right? I mean, I'm not buying pineapples every week. Um but I mean, to be honest, right? You get those little fruit cups from like Dole or whatever, or whoever makes them. And pineapple is definitely one of the fruits where I'm like, can't wait to eat all the fruit than just drink the high fructose corn syrup pineapple juice. Pineapple juice is actually really. That's like I said. I think pineapple juice is really the only good juice. We're like, oh, that's good. The others are like, oh, okay. I guess I'll have some juice. I mean, I don't know about that. Uh, my number one. Apple juice. Okay. My number one is orange juice. Okay. Yeah, I could I mean, see those being switched, but I you did convince me with your logic about, like, orange juice is only for the mornings. And, you know, if it's super hot outside, I remember having some orange or uh, apple juice back in the day and just remember thinking, like, this is damn refreshing. Don't spill it on yourself because ants will be there in a minute, but it's, it's refreshing. It's good. Can, how often when you drink something do you spill it on yourself? Out of every 10 times you drink something, how often do you spill it on yourself? Drinking, uh, never. But eating is a different story. Okay, out of every 10 times you eat something, how how often are you going to get something on your shirt? Probably four or five times out of 10. That's <laughs> a little high. What are you doing? I mean, th- th- there are times where I'll, like, be eating cereal, and I'm not at the table. Like, I'm sitting on the couch or something, and <laughs> I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to take the first spoonful, and the milk will get, like, on my chin or shirt, and I'll be like, okay, that's just the first spoonful. Then I go back to do it again, it happens again. I'm like, how is this happening? Like, I'm even conscious of the fact of that I'm doing this, and it, you know, so, yeah. But, like, I'm not, like, at a, if I'm at the table, like, the dinner table, I'm... Those odds go way down, but if I'm like on the couch or something, they go way up. I'm probably two out of ten times. Me. I'm probably twenty percent. There's a twenty percent chance I'm going to get some food on me. I'm eating. I, I think I, you're a little high. You got to adjust your. You got to. You got to. I'm gotta kind of scarred food. because my father kind of scarred me for life when I was a child because he has always had a mustache, this big Wilford Brimley mustache, and he would eat and like. Shit would get stuck in there. He would have no idea unless someone told him. And I'm like, do you not realize you have pieces of corn in your mustache? And then he'd have a cigarette. It was all it was just gross. It just grossed me out. So that's why I think I'm a pretty clean eater for the most part. But I do, I do, do tend to spill every now and again. Well, wait a minute. If you're scarred for life and you're trying to be a clean eater and you still get stuff in your 50% of the time, like... What happens when you're not trying? Like, do you just miss your <laughs> mouth? And t- like, man, I that I thought you were going to go the other direction. Like, I don't feel like you're doing a very good job. But the best part about it is right now is I can blame it on the children. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like oh, crap, kid, you did something which made me mess up. Like, thank you. 
I will say that when I get uh, high on Friday and Saturday nights and kind of go after it a little bit, like I do have, like I have a sweatshirt that I have to wear on Fridays. That's like it's completely stained from getting food all over it. Like, well, I got to wear my Friday sweatshirt because I don't want to ruin something nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I do. <laughs> oh my god, that's so embarrassing. I do have dinner shirts. Like, if I know it's gonna be like you know, if we're having like a finger food or something. I'll, I'll change into one of them. I mean, it just makes sense. It's like paint. It's like painting shirts, right? I don't know if I could do that. I don't have any specific dinner shirts. Well, I do have a dinner sweatshirt that I just talked about, but that's only on Friday nights. Do I use the dinner sweatshirt? Because I know that like it's gonna get it's gonna get sloppy up there. But do you have a bib? Do you have a bib? <laughs> no, I don't have a bib. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a goddamn ch- like man child over here. Well, maybe I am. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like if you're an adult and you have a bib, I don't really care what you're eating. You're kind of saying something about yourself. Like you just, you just got to figure this out. Could you imagine rolling up to like a restaurant with you and your wife or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever you have, and you're <laughs> you pull out a bib and you're just wearing the bib? That would, I mean, that's more power to you if that's what you need, man. Good, good on you, man. You could not wear a bib in front of me if we were dating boy or girl, within the first two years of a relationship. I would have to be pretty much 90% committed in order to continue to be in a relationship with you if you had a bib on while eating. Like, no, I'm out of here. I went on a random date real fast. I went on a random date with a girl when I was in Orlando, and she had just had some teeth work done. And she would tuck napkins into, like, her neckline but like they like almost created like a little like a little bib and she would eat and like shit would just roll off there roll onto the napkin and then roll onto her blouse or whatever she was wearing and i was like what's the purpose of wearing the napkins and looking like a fool if it's not going to work but did you go on a second date no no i didn't really get second dates sometimes because of you wait a minute <laughs> yeah i remember that yeah wait a minute did she call it off or did you call it off I mean, I, I did. So, oh, was it the bib? <laughs> we just didn't. We just didn't click. Well, I'll put it that way. Okay. All right. <laughs> Can I tell my drooling on stuff story? Yeah, of course. So I started a new job, and I was in charge of like meeting with all of the different representatives from different areas. And I had just had like a dental procedure, not a cavity, it was something else, but I had to have like anesthesia, and there was like blood involved. And I went to all these meetings with, like, blood just dripping out of my mouth. But I did it on purpose because I thought it would be funny. Like, I didn't cancel any of them because I was like, I just wanted to see what people would do if I had, like, blood coming out of my mouth. <laughs> like, who's this new guy? Like, he's fucking crazy. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. really helps us out. doesn't have to be a big thing, just a couple of quick words. And let us know what you think are the best juices. I really went into this thinking orange is the best juice. But maybe for the first time in the history of this show, <clears throat> John convinced me. His argument about orange juice only being good in the morning is a good argument. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.